Let's turn once again in our Bibles to 1 Samuel, and we're going to go to chapter 23. If you don't have your Bibles, um, we're going to have all the verses that we're going to be looking at on the screen as well. And uh, just to recap a little bit, where we are is that David is in the wilderness, his life. Let me just set up here, guys. Sorry. There we go. His life has taken a little bit of a detour, unexpectedly, into the wilderness. And this is not something he planned. Um, it looked like David was like just, you know, yards from the throne. He was going to be the king of Israel. And then he's on the highway to the throne and to being king. And then all of a sudden, here's a detour, sending him into the wilderness. And it's going to be a 10-year detour in the wilderness. Now, when we hear wilderness, we, we probably think of forests and woods and trees and lush animals and all that kind of stuff. But in the Bible, the wilderness actually means a desert place, a barren place, a place where life is hard and brutal and harsh. And, um, and God seems to like to use the wilderness to do a good work in his people's lives. Moses had a desert experience. He actually had two. He had one before he was in ministry, and then he had another 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Elijah heard God's still small voice while he was in the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness before he began his ministry. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, after getting saved, spent his first three years in the desert of Arabia. So God God uses wildernesses in his people's lives. Now, Saul, King Saul, on the other hand, had no wilderness. He went straight, fast track to the throne. Instant power, instant fame, instant success. But there's no such thing as instant character. And it's Saul's character that brought his reign crashing down. So God says to David, I have something better for you. I am going to detour your life through the desert. And in that place, I will make you a man after my heart. And I will teach you to be a good king. So the, the reality is what's wilderness can be anything, any dry, harsh time. It, it can be a circumstance. It can be a phone call from your doctor that you didn't expect. It can be an emotional wilderness of depression or discouragement that has nothing to do with your circumstances. It can be so many things, but sometimes God sets unexpected detours into our lives that take us into the wilderness. Now, as I said last week, the wilderness is not the believer's permanent home. It's not. The Lord has called us to a bountiful place, to an abundant life. So we're not meant to like think that's going to be where our life is, but God does sometimes take our lives into the wilderness to do a work on our character, where we everything we lean on is stripped away, and we have only God to lean upon. The other things that we find strength in, encouragement in, enjoyment in, begin to get stripped away until all we can do, and that's what David's doing in Psalm 63 and so many of the other Psalms that he wrote in the wilderness, leaning hard 
on God. But one thing I want to point out before we get into this passage, and I'll tell you why, I'm setting this up, because chapter 23 is a very significant turning point for David. I know in my life when a wilderness has suddenly, I suddenly see the detour sign into a wilderness. A situation happens, a gut punch happens, a hard circumstance, a relational uh, issue happens, and I see that detour into the wilderness. I don't know about you, but my first reaction is often not the best reaction. Uh, my, it, it, like a lot of times, my first response, to be honest, is kind of wimpy. It's kind of wimpy. I just kind of like, well, why? And I complain, God, you know, I don't want this. And why is this here? And I get discouraged. I get self-pity. Anybody, rec you know, like self-pity? Why me, God? Why am I here? I'm just going to give up. I, you know, I'm done. You know, that's my first response. Kind of wimpy. It takes me time to process, to regain my footing, to get a perspective that's more uh, faith-filled. And so I actually find it encouraging. That's what happened to David as well. So if you remember, going backwards a little bit, in chapter 20, David finds out from his good friend Jonathan that Saul is out to kill him. And so the chapter ends with Jonathan going back home and David running into an unknown wilderness, running for his life, fugitive. He has no time to say goodbye to his wife. He has no time to pack anything. He has no time to plan anything. He is suddenly has no idea where he's going to go. He has no idea what he's going to do. And what we see in chapters 21 and 22 is David makes some significant mistakes in that first response. So he's entering the wilderness. His first reactions are not very promising. In chapter 21, he goes to the priest Ahimelech. He lies and he says, I am on a secret mission from Saul and I had no time to pack food or a weapon. Give me some bread. Give me a, give me a sword. And Ahimelech does that. And David knows there's a guy there named Doeg. He's an Edomite. And he knows he hear, he saw everything. And he knows uh, Doeg is going to go back to Saul. But he's thinking, so what? So what? What David never imagines is that Saul is going to kill not only Ahimelech, in spite of the fact that Ahimelech had no idea that David was running from Saul, he was going to kill Ahimelech, he was going to kill 85 priests, and he was going to kill men, women, and children from the city of Nob, where Ahimelech came from. And when David hears that, he feels the weight. He feels responsible for that. Only one person escapes. One of Ahimelech's sons escapes with his life. And so, David, can you imagine the desert that that creates in your life? To be, I wouldn't want to be responsible for the death of one person. Can you imagine hundreds of people, including women and children? That just made David's desert hotter. He miscalculated with Doeg. He knew he was there. He miscalculated. Then, not having any place to go, David runs to the city of Gath, which happens to be a Philistine city, which happens to be the city that Goliath is from. Can't see anything wrong with that. 
I guess he's hoping they don't recognize him, but they recognize him immediately as the man who killed Goliath and then killed tens of thousands of Philistines. And the only way David gets out of Gath alive is by pretending he's insane, dribbling, a drool coming down, and gibberish, and scratching at things. And, and they decide he's so, like, so pitiful, we're just going to let him go. That was a detour in David's life, Gath, if you examine it from beginning. Nothing good came of that. There is no, like, oh, that, that benefit came out of that. It was pure mistake pure miscalculation. David is not off to a good start. He's got 10 years of this going on, and he is off to a really crummy start. And what I sense is he's off balance. He doesn't know what to do. He's on his back foot. He's reacting. He's not proactive. And, and he makes dumb decisions that just make his wilderness that much hotter. I can relate to that. I don't know if you can. I can relate to that. But chapter 23 marks a shift. David is going to go from his back foot reactive to his front foot proactive in chapter 23. And it begins with this action. David begins to ask God what he wants him to do. Read with me verse 1, chapter 23, verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Calah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Cala, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Cala and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Cala. Father, we just ask that you would bless this time in your word. We ask that our hearts would be open to receive from you. Holy Spirit, do your work in us and let your word speak deeply to us and where we are and where our lives are at, God. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The town of Calah is in Judah. David is of the tribe of Judah. These are his people. But think about the problems David has right now. He's running for his life. He's got a ragtag group of people. You know who they are? They're the people in distress, in debt, and bitter of soul. That's his army, 400 of them. And yet with all his problems, when he hears about the Philistines attacking Calah, he goes right to God. And he asks, should I go and fight for them? David's not focused on his problems. He's ready to help other people fight their battles. He wants to help. He's a racehorse ready to jump in. But I appreciate that he, before he does, he goes to God and he says, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to fight this battle? 
God does not call us to fight every battle. God does not call us to meet every need we see. There's no way we can. But what God does ask us to do is in any season have a heart to reach out and help others and fight for them. To be open to God wanting to use us to fight for others in their time of need. And what I love about chapter 23 is David's not running from here and there and, and trying to, he's now ready to fight again. Give me an enemy, God. Give me an enemy. Give me the green light, God, and I will fight. But, and by the way, that is a, such a picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Here is Jesus, and he comes selflessly to fight our fight and to save us. God said to David, go and save them. Jesus came to save us. So we see again a picture of Jesus in David's life. But I appreciate the next thing that happens because the men that are with him say, David, we're already running for our lives. We're already in serious jeopardy. If we go there, we raise our profile. Saul's going to know exactly where we are. It's a valid concern. And David doesn't just write it off. He goes back to God. And he says, God, let me hear this again. Do you want us to go? And God says, I will give you success. You go, arise, fight. I will give them into your hands. What, what I want to point out to us in this, and particularly, you know, it's, I'm keeping it vague because I don't know what your wilderness is. I don't know, you know, and you may not be in a wilderness, but tuck this away because at some point you will be. But if you're in a wilderness, I think this the, the, the lesson we get from this is when we're in a wilderness and things are dry and things are hard and come, life is coming at us, maybe we're going through a very difficult relational thing. Maybe we're going through, we just lost our job or we're, we're just encountering trials it is easy to go into survival mode. I'm just going to, I just want to make it through this. I just want to get by. I'm going to pull in the sidewalks. I'm going to close the door. I'm going to turn out the lights. I'm not open for business for anyone else. I'm just trying to get by myself. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm going to hoard what I have. I've got a little strength. I'm going to hoard it. I've got a little time. I'm going to hoard it. I've got a little money, I'm going to hoard it. Because I don't have enough to, so I'm just going to close down shop. Now, as I've started out saying, I think there's a, an appropriate period of time when we first enter a wilderness, like David, where we kind of do have to just process. We have to figure this thing out. We have to regain our balance and our footing. But the most important step, and I want to say this, if you're in a wilderness, the most important step is to pray. That's the most important step is to pray. See, sometimes we go into the wilderness, well, I don't even have time to pray. Life is coming at me so fast, I don't even have time to pray. Yeah, you better make time to pray. True story just happened this January. Ryan Casey 
was traveling with a friend in his truck to do some hiking in Box Canyon. It's January, so it's snowing. And as they get closer to this remote area where they were going to hike, it's snowing harder and harder and harder. The friend starts getting nervous, says, I think we should turn back. But Ryan is uh, skilled and definitely into the woods and hiking and all that. So he keeps going. But then there's a point where he's like, I do think we need to turn back. We're in a remote area. The snow is getting higher. I don't have the chains on my truck. And just as he's about to turn around, he comes across a van that's stuck on the side. He pulls over next to it. A woman jumps out, and she's so glad to see them. She spent the night in her van. She's stranded there. And so Ryan says, good, let's, let's get your van out and let's go. But the problem is, in just a few minutes that they spent interacting, his truck is hopelessly stuck. The snow is up to the waist. There's no place nearby he can walk. They can walk. There's no cell service, and it's a remote road that there probably won't be anybody driving on for a length of time. And Ryan said, I started to get nervous. What Ryan did was he sent a distress message upwards in two ways. He is a Christian, and the woman was extremely frightened. He prayed with her. And he asked God, help us, God, help us get out of here. And he said it was a moment. She felt the Spirit of God calm her heart. The second way he sent a distress message upward is he's a, he was an amateur photographer and he happened to have a drone. Now, there's no cell service, but he thought if I type out a, a text message long enough to not send it immediately, strap it to the drone, hit send, and send the drone up skyward, maybe I can get it high enough where that text message will get out. So he texts, he typed a text message to his wife. He's in Oregon. His wife is in Uganda visiting family. So he types it. He explains his situation. He explains his, he shares his location and he says, honey, we're okay. It's not an emergency, but could you just please call and get us some help? Thank you for your work on this. He sends it as high as the drone will go. He retrieves the drone and he sees to his dismay, the message did not send. So he types another message, similar message to his wife and sent it even higher and let it stay up there longer. When the drone came down, he saw that the message had sent. And now it's like four in the morning in Uganda. But his wife got that message. She worked on it. It was challenging, but she was able to get them help to rescue them. There is a good chance that woman may have died in that remote place in those harsh conditions if ryan hadn't come to rescue her but ryan needed to send a message upward asking for help as well and so do we and that's what prayer is it is saying god will you give me success in this will you help me in this i need your help but i want to help others when we're in a wilderness, sometimes the last thing we might think God wants to do is use us to help others. But that's exactly what God will do.
So my encouragement is don't close your doors. Don't lock your, your doors. Don't, don't hoard what you have. Don't let your life get reduced to just getting by. I'm just getting by. I'm just survival mode. Don't let life become that. You can't meet every need, but God will use you and put opportunities in your life to help others and meet the need they have. And it will free you in many ways. It will be a stream of refreshing to your soul. It reminds me of what Jesus said. Those who seek to save their life, let me just keep my life, just keep my life, just keep my life, will lose it. And those who give their lives for my sake will find it. So ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And then do it. And you know what we're saying when we do that? We're saying is this, God, I might be in a barren place, but I'm not going to live a barren life. I am not going to live a barren life. You have not called me to live a barren life. So yes, I'm in a barren place. How do you want to use me to be a blessing to others? Because the God who sets a table in the wilderness can use the wilderness to bring his glory and use us to thrive as we trust God and make ourselves available. So David begins to ask God, what do you want me to do? The second thing that I see happening in chapter 23, and this is a God thing, is people let David down. God lifts David up. Verse 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Calah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, he prays again. He prays again. O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. You ever wish God said a little bit more? <laughs> That's kind of a short answer. He will come down. Then David said, will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? Let's be clear here, God. And the Lord said, they will surrender you. I'm jumping to verse 14. And David remained, so he leaves, Calah. David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. 19, verse 19. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, in the hill, hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jez, Jeshim? Now, come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. 
The walls are closing in on David and people are closing in. See, David fought the Philistines on behalf of Calah. But Calah's ready to surrender him to Saul. Now, this is a little less, it's a little more understandable because Saul's ready to besiege the city. And they're like, hey, we love you, David, but we don't want to be destroyed. So they will surrender David. So he goes to the wilderness of Ziph and the Ziphites. They actually go out of their way and say, we're going to turn him in. We're going to betray David to uh, Saul. Saul, come here. He's here. We'll, we'll clue you in on where he's at. <clears throat> so here's the relational landscape in David's life. He's hated by Saul for no reason. He's deserted by the people of Calah, and he's betrayed by the people of Ziph. The reality in our lives is some of the hardest wildernesses we'll ever go through will be man-made. People can hurt us pretty badly. They can let us down. They can disappoint us. We can let them down. We can disappoint them. It's a two-way street. Someone may even betray you at some point in time. A close person, a spouse, co-worker, a neighbor, somebody you thought you could depend on. Betraying is different than disappointing. It's an extra step of sticking the knife in the back. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. You know, the betrayal, G Judas's betrayal of Jesus is not some side little note. It is central to the work that Jesus did. Betrayal was a deep part of what Jesus endured for us. Betrayal hurts deep. That someone you think cares about you would actually hurt you. It hurts deep. All four Gospels record Judas's betrayal. When we have communion, what do we read from? Very often we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When Paul is talking about communion, he opens up by saying, on the night he was betrayed. Betrayal is a significant part of the Gospel. Because betrayal is, is a big part of what Jesus endured to save us because it's a big part of our wilderness in this world. We have betrayed God by rebelling against the one who created us, who made us, who loves us. We have betrayed him by rebelling against him. We betray. There's betrayal in our world. It's part of the wilderness that we live in, in this dry and thirsty land. And it's, it's part of what Jesus came to save us from. And I'm so grateful he did. So David felt the pain of someone hating him when he's only done good to him and someone letting them down when he tried to, when he rescued them and someone betraying him when he's done nothing to hurt them. In Psalm 41, he writes this, My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? That's serious hatred. When will he die and his name perish? I don't even want him just dead. I want his name forgotten. Verse 6, when one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely. 
while his heart gathers slander, then he goes out and spreads it around. Have you ever had somebody come to you with one face and then turn around and show another face completely? Verse 9, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. We know that was, that was true in David's life, but it was also a prophetic utterance of Jesus Christ. So in this wilderness, he is hated, he is disappointed, he is betrayed. And in the midst of that dry, barren, relational landscape, God sends him a true friend to encourage him and strengthen him in God. Verse 16, 1 Samuel 23, 16 and 17. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. What a word of encouragement by the son of the king who wants to kill him. Jonathan is saying, don't be afraid. My father will not find you. He will not win this thing. God's hand is upon you. He's going to give you the kingdom. I know it. I'm going to be there at your side, and my father knows it. Those are words of life. Do what God's called you to do, David, because God will give you success, and nothing is going to stop you. God is with you, and I am with you all the way. These are the last, this is the last recorded time that David and Jonathan are together. Dear, dear friends. What an encouragement God has sent to David through Jonathan. So what I want to encourage us is, is this. Um, there are going to be people who hurt you. There are going to be people who disappoint you, maybe even betray you. And honestly, you're going to hurt people and you're going to disappoint people. And I pray to God that none of us ever betrays anybody. My word is this. Don't live in the bitterness of that hurt. Don't live in, the, in the, the atmosphere of that fire. There are people who burn things down, who try to incinerate relationships, who want to make their life stronger by burning other people down. And sometimes it's just sin in their life. Sometimes it's just how they've been treated and they're passing it along. And we do that sometimes to others too. Don't live in that place. I thought of the smoke that came down here from Canada. It's like, could you just keep your smoke to yourself? We don't want to live in your smoke. All right. Well, that's what we want to say to people who are like walking around with smoke all around them, burning and, and burning bridges and, and all that. It's like, could you just keep your smoke to yourself? I want to love you. I want to pray for you. I'd love to help you, but I am not going to live in your smoke. And then find people, and God will send people who encourage you, who support you, who strengthen your hand in God, who tell you the truth even when it hurts, but who cheer you on. Amen? Find those people and find your strength with them. I want to close with the final scene in chapter 23. 
Uh, it finds Saul. He's clued in. The Ziphites have told him where he is. Saul is is beginning to zero in on David. He's got him on the run. They're they're in a they're basically chasing him and surrounding him around this mountain. He's closing in. David's dead. It's over. First Samuel done. David's kingdom done. Saul can taste the success. God has given me David, my enemy, into my hands. But then a messenger comes to Saul. This is God's providence for David. And he says, the Philistines are attacking our people. We need to go right back immediately. God intervened. God protected David. People were trying to crush David, try to push him down, but God is lifting him up. I want to encourage you, believe that God has your life in his hand. God, people can hurt you. They can. I don't mean to diminish that. People can hurt us, but no one can destroy you when your life belongs to God. Nobody can destroy you when God is your defender. No one has the power to destroy your life when you are in Jesus Christ. Nobody. You could hurt me. You can't destroy me. You could kill me. I hope you don't. Somebody could kill you. That will not destroy your life if you're in Christ. It just sends you home a little earlier. Believe that. Believe that because it's true. It's true. God is our defender. Believe that God has his hand on your life and he has your life in his hands. When our trust is in God, people may push us down. God will lift us up as we humble ourselves. The more people let David down, the more God raised him up. And by the way, raised up people who supported him and encouraged him. Psalm 41 goes on to declare, and I want to close with this, and then I'm going to ask the band to come up and close us with a song. Psalm 41, verse 10 through 12. This, by the way, is the same psalm that talks about people who are his enemies, who want him dead, who want his name to perish off the face of the earth. This is the psalm that says that even my friend, my close friend, has raised his hand against me, has betrayed me. But that's not where David ends. David ends, but may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. This is such a beautiful picture of Christ. He humbled himself even to the point of death. And because he humbled himself to the point of death, God raised him to the highest place. His name is above every name. That as his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our Savior. But it's also true of us because we are raised in Christ. 
and our lives are hidden in Christ. So if you're in a wilderness, know this, it cannot destroy your life. Go to God in prayer. Let God use you to help others and believe God to raise you up in the midst, even when people are trying to press you down or circumstances are trying to press you down. Believe God in that place. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, Lord. That your hand is a strong hand. Your arm is a strong arm. Thank you that you are for us. That, Lord, because of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, if you gave us your son, how will you not also give us every good thing? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So I pray particularly for anyone who might be in a period of a wilderness of any kind, any nature, that you would encourage their soul, that you would raise their eyes upwards, that, Lord, their prayers, they would send their prayers skyward. I also pray, Lord, help us not to reduce our life or get small, but look for opportunities to be used by you, even when we feel like we're barely making it. Because in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. Finally, Lord, I pray for anyone who's just pressed down, just discouraged. Maybe, maybe they've heard someone speak death over their lives and words that condemn them and, and, and just put them down and demean them. Maybe they're speaking those words over their own. But I pray, Father, you will give them a fresh, a fresh glimpse of your goodness and love. And that God, in the midst of that place, they will shoo away those lies. They will not live in the smoke of those lies, but they will live in the sunshine and the goodness of your grace, mercy, and love. And they will believe that no matter who's trying to press them down, you will raise them up in Christ Jesus. Give their heart a fresh, just a fresh boost of faith and joy this morning. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Savior, lead us into the good that you have for us. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. All the way my Savior leads me. Whoever to us beside, how could I doubt this tender voice? Who's your love, husband, my God? All the way my and she is winding path I tread. Gives me grace for every trap. Sees me with well. You 
and keep me from falling. You shall follow me. I'm sure you recognize it. Written by David, Psalm 23. The man who had Saul following him to kill him could declare with confidence, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. If you're in a wilderness, declare that beautiful truth. God sets a table in the wilderness. He's got a table for you. You're not going to be there forever. That's not your permanent home. But while you're there, God is going to set a feast. A feast for your character. A feast for your faith. 
a feast for your heart as you know your God better. So look up and look out. See what God does. Jesus, we thank you. We commit ourselves to you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week.